Everyday moments are small, simple, and ordinary. We can often grow frustrated with them, yet these are the moments that create our lives. Following Jesus is the same. What if following Jesus was more about the ordinary moments rather than the extraordinary? What if being with Jesus was more important than doing for Jesus? What if my spiritual life was dependent on everyday, ordinary rhythms of being with Jesus? An everyday disciple being with Jesus to be Jesus to others. Okay, here's your fun fact for the day. According to the New York Post, on average, we spend in a year 131 days bored. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever think about that stat? Well, I don't know where they got the research from. I don't know where they got the basis for that at, but they would say that on average, we spend 131 days bored. And whether you believe that stat or feel that stat, right, we've all maybe experienced that stat at one level or another. Whether it's a full day where you felt bored or you've had moments in your day that you feel bored, on a weekly basis, you might feel bored. Right? Tomorrow's Monday. Some of you start school tomorrow. Some of you go back to work tomorrow. Right? All of the things take place on Monday, and you're back to it. We all have had moments where we feel bored or the mundane is just carrying on. I felt this over Christmas break. The week between Christmas and New Year's is insane for us. You have Christmas Eve. You have Christmas. We have two birthdays in between Christmas and New Year's, and then you do New Year's stuff. One of those birthdays is mine, and the others is my son. And so on the 28th, we decided to combine our birthday parties with our families and do it on the 28th. We got that over with, and that was a ton of fun. I woke up the 29th, and I felt something inside of me, and I asked my wife, I'm like, what are we going to do today? Because all the excitement was over. Christmas had happened. Multiple days of Christmas had happened, right? My birthday party had happened. And I am there kind of angsty like. I'm like, what's, what's the plan today? What are we going to do today? And within a three-hour window, I had asked her about 10 times. And she kept saying, I don't know, which frustrated me because I didn't know either, right? And so it just kept going on and on and on. Then it landed me to this point about 11 o'clock in the morning. I'm sitting there with my daughter in the living room and she looks at me and she says, daddy, can we play? And I'm like, yeah, we can play. What do you want to play with? What toy or what do you want to do? And she says, can we play vacuum cleaner? And I was like, well, there you go, right? That's how boring our house is that she wants to play vacuum cleaner, right? And what she meant was this, Daddy, can you lay face down on the carpet? I will sit on your back, and you act like a vacuum cleaner. That's how we have fun at our house, everybody, okay? She got numerous toys for Christmas, wants me to be a vacuum cleaner. And so I am chugging around the living room as a vacuum cleaner, like, and then you roll over things, you're like, doo -doo 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 -doo, right? And you get all the noise effects. And all of a sudden, as I'm playing vacuum cleaner, I hear this door slam. It's a car door. And I hop up and I'm like that felt very close like maybe our driveway close who's here right I look outside the window and my brother my brother-in-law and my dad are getting out of the car I'm like what is happening are they bringing something are they taking something away what's going on here right and I'm like Jess Jess they're at the door do you know why they're here she's like I don't know right and so she goes down she opens the door I kind of step out and my brother who's about 6'4 280 looks at me and he points and he says, you are coming with us. And I was like, that's a very scary feeling right there, right? I didn't know why I was coming with them. But what ended up happening is they had all these birthday surprise plans and activities that they just wanted to do as the guys of the family with me, right? But here's the reality. All of us have felt that at one point or another where we're sitting there and we're like, well, what are we going to do next? What's going to happen next? I'm bored. I'm in the mundane. I'm in the everyday. I'm waiting for something or someone to show up to put me into a fun position, to give me something to look forward to, to do something big. I think subconsciously we live in a world and maybe a culture that would promote entertainment over the everyday. That we would live in a world and in a moment where we see a lot of the big things of life which get kind of pushed down the everyday things of life. 
And maybe subconsciously, we would believe that we need to be a part of the big things, or if we're not a part of the big things, we're missing out on the thing. It's interesting, Alfred Hitchcock would say this about movies. Movies are life with the doll bits cut out, right? You watch an hour and a half, two-hour movie, there ain't no making coffee and doing dishes in the movie, am I right? It's the love story, it's the action, it's the heroes, right? The, the movie is life with the doll bits cut out, and I think that's what we experience every single day. When you watch a movie, when you listen to music, when you look on social media, we are so used to the doll bits of life being cut out for the sake of doing what's next, the next big thing, the next entertaining thing, the next thing that drives us, and subconsciously we are driven for the big moments, and we miss, I believe, the small moments. My question is this, how does that impact us spiritually? Because you're sitting in a church right now, presumably knowing that we're going to talk about Jesus at some level or God at some level. And the reality is this, that all of us live life, and how we live life or how we see life impacts what we believe spiritually or how we interact with that spiritually. How does that interact with us spiritually? There's a lady that writes a book called Liturgy of the Ordinary. Her name is Tish Harrison Warren. She says this, we tend to want a Christian life with the doll bits cut out. What if all these boring moments, though, matter to God, would be her argument. Here's the reality. Subconsciously, I think we live in a culture, in a world that you only live once. You got to do the big things. You got to do the entertaining things. And I think in light of that, we miss the everyday things. And maybe even spiritually, we struggle with that. I know I do. I was praying before the services this morning, and I do that by myself, and I was just wrestling with God. I'm like, what do you want from me? What's the next big thing? Or where do you want me to position my life so that big things can happen for you? And I believe God was just bringing me back to the center and saying, there's everyday things I want you to be present to. What would it look like to, instead of waiting for the next big thing, to take on the everyday things for the sake of not only experiencing his love, but loving others the way he has loved us? An everyday disciple chooses, and we're going to talk about this today, to abide or make their home in Jesus every day. Everyday mundane moments with a purpose. Why is that? Why is that? Because I believe this. Jesus, Jesus lived on purpose in the mundane moments. That the good news of Jesus, what we believe here at the center of our faith and our belief, is that Jesus entered into our life to absolutely change our life. In this series, we're going to spend seven weeks looking at everyday disciples. What does it look like to be every day, be with Jesus in the everyday of life? What does it look like to have rhythms and, and practices that put me in the presence of Jesus and transform me? And inside of this series, our aim is to identify what does it mean to follow Jesus in the everyday. Here's my heart. We're going to get to some things that feel checklisty. We're going to talk about reading your Bible. We're going to talk about praying. We're going to talk about community. Where we're going to start is this. Where do our hearts need to be? What does it look like to actually engage Jesus in the everyday? and then put rhythms into place to allow us to do that. My hope is that you don't see a bunch of checklist things to do as you enter into the church. we got to get these things done. My hope is that you would experience the love of Jesus in your everyday. My hope is this, as we walk through these uh, series, as we walk through the sermons that we're going to walk through, that we would give you very applicable, tangible, everyday moments where you can be reminded to be with Jesus. That's our hope with this, is not to give you more to do, but to focus our energies to be present in the busyness of life that we're in. Two resources that I want to point you to real quickly. First is this, every series we provide a series guide. This series guide is kind of a devotional that walks you Monday through Friday based on what we talked about on Sunday. They're in the back. We'll have some ushers that will hand them out after the service. Grab one. It is a great resource. If you're new to reading your Bible or maybe you have been disengaged for a while, that's a great resource to pick up. The team, the volunteer team that does it, does phenomenal every single time. And they do it just because they love Jesus and they have great resources inside of it. So grab one of those. And the second thing is this. 
grab a series guide, but I'd also encourage you to go to community inside of the series. There's a lot of different opportunities that are starting, life groups, discovery group, serving teams. We even have what we call a workshop, a grow workshop, where you can learn more about the Bible and the gospel. There are a lot of opportunities that you can engage with others inside of this series to be encouraged and equipped. You can check that all out on the back wall, the next steps QR code there. Here's what I believe. We're better together. An everyday disciple needs everyday relationships to pursue Jesus every day. And my encouragement is that you would jump into that. Now, if you're like, I don't know where to start, and I'm newer, or I'm just checking things out, just come talk to me afterwards. We'll walk with you through that. We want to personally help you engage inside of this conversation, okay? Today, this is what we're going to look at in one small point. An everyday disciple makes their home in Jesus' love. An everyday disciple makes their home in Jesus' love. That's what we're going to sit on. That's what we're going to take a look at. It's going to feel very introductory. It's going to feel very maybe kind of foundational because I want you to understand the heart behind this series and this conversation before I invite you to engage with activity in the series, in the conversation, okay? The message version of John 9 says this, I've loved you the way my father has loved me. Now, let's get some context. Jesus is spending time with his disciples for the last time on this earth before he goes to the cross. He's spending time around the table. He's spending time talking to them. And he kind of spends time, John 13 through 18, is the chunk where we see a conversation happen with his disciples. He's telling them, talking to them, and encouraging them inside of this. In the middle of it is John 15, and the basis of that passage is where we're going in this entire series. And this is the crux of it. I've loved you the way my father has loved me. Jesus is saying to his disciples, make yourself at home in my love. This is what I believe. The good news of Jesus, the gospel, maybe some of you have heard it that way. The good news of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, is all about his extraordinary love meeting us in our everyday life. The good news of Jesus, the love of God meeting us in our everyday life. God's love is beyond our understanding or imagination. We say it, you've seen it at football games, John 3.16 stuck on a poster. You've seen it on social media, God loves you on a bumper sticker. And I think that those are great things. But it doesn't capture the complexity and the beauty of God's love towards us and the cost that it came at. That ultimately God's love is so profound and it changes our life in such distinct ways through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. God's love came to us through a human being named Jesus who was fully God and fully human. Jesus is the Son of God who walked this earth in everyday moments, so that I believe we could fully experience the love, joy, peace, and good news of Jesus in everyday ways. We can feel it, we can see it, we can experience it in ways that you and I connect to. Philippians 2, Paul writes this. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. We believe this. Jesus is a person of God. Jesus is inside of the Trinity. He is the Son, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Jesus became man, entered into our worlds, fully God and fully man, on a mission to save us. I think it's profound, though, this, that the God of the universe did not look at us and say, climb up this mountain and get to me. He entered into the messiness and into the mundane and into the everyday life of our life to come save us. That's profound. That's what Christmas is all about. That's why we celebrate Christmas. And in doing that, do you know how many years Jesus spent in seemingly kind of off to the side and seemingly kind of off over here. No one really knew. It was 30 years. 
30 years, Jesus kind of lived his life in a small town as a carpenter. And then at 30, he started his ministry. Jesus embraced humanity in its fullest by becoming human and living on this earth, even though he was God in the flesh. And what we need to see is this, is that everyday mundane small moments are not too small for our God because he decided to enter into it for our sake, yes, first and foremost, but I ultimately think to show us something inside of that and to save us and to lead us. His love is extraordinary because he did ultimately for us what we could not do for ourselves. 1 John 4, 9 through 10 tells us this. John writes this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as atoning sacrifice for our sins. We believe first and foremost that the good news of Jesus tells us God loves us. That's why I believe he entered in as a human to be with us and to ultimately save us. But what the gospel also tells us is that you and I are lost spiritually because of our sin. Sin is just literally missing the mark. It is living in a way that is opposite of the way God desires us to live. It is living basically as my own God and deciding to do what I want to do instead of leaning into and following after the God of the universe. And inside of that, the biggest thing that you and I need to recognize in our lostness is not just a moral or ethical behavior we have to get right, but that in our lostness, we are relationally separated from the God of the universe. The biggest and scariest thing about our lostness, our sinfulness, is that it separates us from God. And you and I, as John would write, cannot achieve eternity, salvation, cannot achieve joy, peace, love in and of ourselves. What John would say is this, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us first. That ultimately pure, perfect, and beautiful, saving love happens through Jesus entering into our world, living the perfect life that you and I could not live, dying the death we deserved, and rising again so that we could have life. That is love. And we respond to that love and out of that love, and we're changed by that love. That ultimately, he entered into the everyday, not just to do everyday things for the sake of everyday things, yeah, but ultimately to set an example and live such a life for the sake of saving us in a way that you and I could not save ourselves. And ultimately, Jesus atones, forgives, pardons, graces us through what he did, dying on the cross and rising again. But here's reality. The reality is this, if that is true, that God loves us, we are lost, and Jesus is the one that rescues us, what does that invitation look like? We talked about this a little bit on Christmas Eve, but in Galatians, Paul writes this in chapter 4, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. Now listen, just a little break here. This means that the God of the universe had always planned to send his son. Jesus was always the plan. It was never plan B. It's like Adam and Eve failed, and then he's like, what do we do next? And the spirit and the son and the father were like, oh my. It's always been the plan. Jesus was always the first plan. Born of a woman, it's Mary. Born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption of sonship because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Here's the reality. Jesus made his home with us for the sake of empathizing with us, for the sake of living with us, for the sake of running into us and ultimately saving us through his life, death, and resurrection. And inside of that, he entered into a circumstance that ultimately we could not save ourselves from ourselves. We're under this law that we could not fulfill in and of ourselves. And he came to fulfill that law and redeem us, save us, release us, rescue us, and adopt us. Here's the reality. Some of us, we are running from God right now. 
We're running, 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 running further because we don't believe we're worth it or we're good enough or we can do enough. For others of us, we're working really hard for God. We're trying to make a point to prove to God that we're worth it, that we should be in relationship with him. And what this passage tells me is this, is that the God of the universe came into our world to stop us from running and working harder, but ultimately to save us. We looked at this Christmas Eve. Jesus, we said, is the better brother. Looked at the prodigal son story. One brother runs further. One brother works harder. Jesus is the better brother who came at Christmas to do for us what we could not do for ourselves and invite us to come home with him. He's the better brother that did for us what we could not do to pay the penalty, to pay for the sins, to cover us, to grace us, and then to link arms with us and walk us into the Father's presence in his home. I love the good news of Jesus for numerous reasons. But when I looked at the good news of Jesus in light of this idea of everyday disciple, here's what stood out to me. Two things. I wonder if God is way more wise and complex than we give him credit. That he decided to save us through everyday visible things that you and I can relate to so that when the good news of Jesus is presented, it's not just presented but experienced. That Jesus lived a life that you and I lived. He slept. He woke up. He went to work. He ate food. He hung out with people. He hung out with annoying people. He hung out with cool people, right? He did life. And then he died a death that you and I can see, we can learn about, that you and I at a gut reaction can kind of feel the pain at like a minuscule level of what he might have experienced. But the good news of Jesus is not just a theory. It is experiential. And what Jesus did is he didn't tell us to climb a mountain to him. He came down to us and he lived this life inside of it all, present with us, doing things that you and I would do and ultimately creating a picture for what it means to be saved by him. Not in some theory, but in reality. Secondly is this. I also think that he did it in the everyday because he wanted to give us a picture of how to live in the everyday following after him and loving others the way that he has loved us. That Jesus made it a point to get into the messy situations of life. And some of you are in messy situations relationally, financially. Maybe you're in messy situations mentally, emotionally, physically. And Jesus gives us a picture of what it means to be with him and to love as he loved in the midst of those things. That's why we're doing this series, is we want to encourage each other and what it means to be present to Jesus and what, who he is and what he's done for us and the, how to be present to others in the midst of the crazy that you and I exist in with our schedules, relationships, and lives. What would it look like to be a church willing to be with Jesus for the sake of being Jesus to others? Now, Jesus in John 15, 9 invites us to make our home in his love. And I love that usage. There's a lot of different translations. We're going to look at another one today. But making his home in his love can be translated abiding in or remaining in. But I love how this is translated because I think it's so visible. It's tangible. It's tangible when Jesus says, make my home or make your home in my love. We can kind of see that. How many of you remember the first apartment or home you moved into and that picture just is burned into your minds, right? Right? Okay, so three of us, okay? Do, do you have, like, where is your home? What is going on right now, right? The, that was burned into my mind. The first apartment is burned in my mind because it was small and it was not much. And this is me and my wife. We moved in. There's a couple boxes there. There's a candle that I'm holding for some reason and a chair. That's what we had at that point in life, right? And uh, I have these boxes up here, and I had two people before service. They're like, are those supposed to be up there? They're like worried that it was like someone left something out. I'm like, no, that's what, this is an illustration. And I was glad they asked because here's the reality. This is what your first home looks like in the first couple weeks. You're just living amongst boxes. Boxes are the decor, right? You're like, Amazon box, we'll put it on that, and that's what we're going to deal with right now, right? And you're unpacking, and you're unpacking, and you're throwing boxes around, and you're doing all this. Moving into your first home or moving into a home or an apartment is an ordeal because you're unpacking a ton of things. You're trying simultaneously to make it feel like home, 
And then you're trying to figure out how to do life around that home so that you can invite others to make themselves feel at home as you hang out at your home. And here's the reality. As we look at this picture a little bit of these boxes up here, right? Let's just take this verse and this passage as literally as we can in what Jesus is talking about, making our home in his love. So some of you sit here and you have not said yes to Jesus, the invitation of home that he has offered you through his life, death, and resurrection. And what is happening is this. You are carrying around your boxes of life and of pain and of things, and you're trying to figure it out yourself. In some ways, spiritually, you're homeless. And yet, maybe you haven't seen it yet. Maybe you haven't Notice it, but the burden is there, the weight is there, and you're trying to figure it out on your own. And, and, and God's calling out, and he's like, hey, hey, I'm over here. And you're like, I got it. I'm carrying these by. I'm fine. We're going to be okay. And today you need to maybe stop and turn and see what Jesus has to offer through his life, death, and resurrection. Because he invites you to bring your life and your pain and your sin and the junk of your life with you into home, and he's going to deal with it. He'll help you unpack it, help you navigate it, and he'll give you a space inside of his home with joy and peace and life tied to it. For those of us, right, maybe we've said yes to Jesus. We had this big mountaintop experience, and we said yes to Jesus. We have experienced his love, but maybe we don't feel at home in his love. Maybe you feel more like you were invited to a dinner party and you've had to leave and come back and leave and come back. And the experience is, well, is this going to be the experience or is this going to be the time or maybe I can feel it over here. And you're looking for different ways and times and settings to experience God's love, but you've never made yourself home in his love. So you kind of bring stuff and then you have to bring stuff back out and you're just kind of there for a moment. For others of us, maybe... We have made our home in his love. We've moved in. We've said yes to Jesus spiritually, and we've put the boxes in the room, and two weeks go by, three weeks go by, four weeks go by, and things are kind of set up, but it feels uncomfortable because it's very different than what you've experienced ever before. We have this often. Someone says yes to Jesus, and a year later, they're like, I just, feel, I just don't know what to do now. I'm not sure what this means. I'm feeling a little tension with it. I'm not sure. Because you're in a new home that is very different than the previous home you were in spiritually. You used to live in a home of fear, and now you live in a home of love. And that can be very kind of tense inside of you, maybe. You're like, I'm not sure what to do with this. There's, it's challenging. I'm not sure. Do I trust him? And what do I do? And no matter where you're at, my invitation is this, is throughout this entire series, is to not think about what you need to do, but maybe where you need to be inside of it. Not what do I need to get done, but how do I receive God's love and trust that love to go out and love others? Because in John 15, we see this conversation continue. John is writing about Jesus' last conversation, like I said, one of his last interactions before he goes off to the cross. And inside of that, he says some profound things that give us some foundation to this conversation. John 15, 1 through 8 is where we're going to be. This is what Jesus says, I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me, bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. He goes on to say, I am the vine, you are the branches. He reminds them again. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Inside of this passage and inside of today, I just want to make three quick observations about what does it mean to make our home in his love. And I'm going to use some illustrations uh, regarding my own home and experiences in my own home. But here's what I want you to know. 
I'm going to say things, I'm going to describe home in certain ways that maybe you've never experienced on this earth. Maybe you've never experienced on this earth a home that felt safe or loving, or maybe you've never experienced parents or siblings that have come around you in different ways. What I'm going to try to express is not necessarily what you've experienced on this earth, but maybe ideally what we experience spiritually through Jesus. And I can understand where it might be hard to connect to what I'm about to say if your experience has not been one that's healthy or loving inside of your own home. But I want you to get this image because there's something so distinct and different about being in relationship with Jesus and the invitation that he gives us. And inside of that, I think he uses certain words to give us a picture. The first thing is this. Home brings relationship. Home brings relationship. When I think about home, the first thing I think about is the relationships inside of my life that make me feel at home, right? We secondly then think about the building of the house or the structure of the house, but home really brings to mind the relationships or the people or, or the circle that I run in when it comes to home, and where that most represents itself inside of our home is the living room. As we were unpacking boxes, right, and getting our first home ready, one of the things that you inevitably do is you put up, what, pictures and decor. You put up things that make it not only feel like home, but tell people what home is all about. In our living room, it is a very relational and intentional and visible reminder that home is more than this building or this structure we live in. It is actually a place of relationship. There are pictures of our kids and our family and all sorts of things that sit inside of our living room. And when I walk in, it is a reminder of what this is all about. It is more than just a building. There are relationships tied to it. And I think Jesus very distinctly wants to remind us of that because Jesus, inside of this passage, uses the terminology remain in me seven different times in eight verses. And if Jesus repetitively uses something, you need to attach to that because if he wants you to know something, he's going to repeat it. He is not ashamed to repeat the things that are important and what he wants you to connect to. Jesus wants us to know that he is relational, intentional, and the remain in me or abide in me or make your home in me, all those ways can be translated. He is reminding us of that because we so quickly forget to do so. Quick example. When we moved into our house, got everything settled, we made it home, right? It was home for us. We figured out all the different things, where it needed to go. And it's very easy to get active doing things rather than being in your home. For example, as we had our kids, we had two kids and they're playing with a ton of toys. We have a toy room and we would put the kids to bed. This was like a year ago at this point. And I would just naturally go around the entire house and pick up every single toy and put it back to where it needs to belong. And I don't know why I did that because it was a miserable activity. But I did it every night because I wanted to achieve something. I wanted the home to look some sort of way. And after a couple weeks of that, my wife looked at me and said, Joel. I was like, what? Stop it. I'm like, why? Why do you want me to stop this, right? And she's like, because I want you to spend time with me. What quickly happens is this. I can make my home, and then all of a sudden, I start working to make it perfect or working to make a point out of it or trying to succeed or achieve something that I wasn't meant to. And what my wife wanted more than anything was not that the home looked pretty and fancy and all that great stuff and that I got everything done that needed to be done, but that she wanted to be with me and in the home that me and her were relational inside of that. And Jesus invites us into that. Because for some of us, we make our home in Jesus and then we go off and we do the dishes or we're cleaning up all the toys or we're doing all this stuff and Jesus is sitting there on the couch and he's like, I know those things need to get done and it's not that they're not important, but you have neglected being with me. Because first and foremost, inviting you home is about relationship because what did I say? Sin, the biggest thing about sin is it separates us from what? Relationship with God. And Jesus did not come just to do a bunch of really cool things, give us some neat life tips, but to save us into relationship with him. And he invites us to be there with him ongoing. Jesus uses this hyper-relational, intentional language 
Because being at home spiritually first means access relationally to him and to what he is all about. John 15, 15, later on in this passage, Jesus says this, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I have made known to you. That's powerful. He is flipping the terminology of what the disciples would have thought themselves as on its head. And he is inviting them to see the relationship with him very differently. Like, no, 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 you're not servants. You are a friend. Come sit with me and enjoy me as a friend enjoys another friend. In Galatians 4, Paul tells us that Jesus was sent to adopt us, to save us. And we become brothers and sisters and co-heirs to him that we get to hang out with our big brother, per se. And we get to spend time with him. But not just that, it changes how we see the other relationships inside the home amongst God in all three persons. The Father, Father God, we learn as we make our home relationally with him, he cares for us. The word used for the Father inside this passage is gardener. He is the gardener inside of this kind of plant life illustration. You can also kind of illustrate that or, or terminology that as farmer. Right, gardener or farmer inside of this. And what do gardeners or farmers do? They care deeply about their plants and their livestock. They care and they look after constantly. They are up before the sun's up and they go to bed after everybody else is in bed. They care and they are in control per se. They are overlooking everything. And that is the same with the father. The Father invites us to see his compassion and his care and his comfort inside a relationship with him. We saw in the prodigal son story that the Father cares for us even when we're off in the distance and don't have a relationship for him. When he invites us home to make our home with him, what he wants more than anything is for us to trust him. Because by nature, I don't trust God. And more than anything, he wants us to abide, remain, make our home in him, because he wants more than anything for us to trust him and listen to him and follow after him and to know that what he has for us is better than what we have for ourselves. Secondly, the son, Jesus, gives life. In this passage, he is represented as the vine. And the vine would have been a very visible image inside of Israel on the temple, inside of their, their landscape. And they would have sort of a ton of different vines, grape vines, and all sorts of things. But also vine, and that terminology was used to describe Israel, the nation of Israel throughout the Old Testament. They would have connected the idea of a vine as a life source, but they would have connected it to their heritage or their people group or their nationality. And what Jesus says is this, I am the true vine, the Messiah, the Savior, the one that gives life and no one else can. He's shattering their understanding of where they receive life and purpose and meaning and dignity, it is from him. You and I, when we engage with Jesus relationally and we make our home inside of his love, we are engaging with the one that gives life and defines our life. It is like a brother saying, come here and let me speak into your life. Let me tell you what life is all about. Come watch how I do life. And that's how we pick it up. He is the giver of life. And ultimately in that, we understand love. Lastly is this, the Spirit encourages. The Spirit is the person of God that enters into us when we say yes to Jesus and is the one who gives encouragement and gives uh, affirmation and, and reminds us of who we are in Jesus and then also corrects and challenges us. The Spirit goes with us to remind us what it means that Jesus has done for us, what only he could do for us, and what it means to follow after him. The Spirit is continually encouraging that we get to engage in the constant presence of that, that ultimately he is going to transport that life to us and reveal where things are dying inside of us. So the first question I would ask is this, are you aware of everyday relationships in his love? Are you aware of everyday relational moments that you can have with Jesus in his love? Because that's what he desires more than anything. He desires that more than how much you do for him even. I think that's a common misconception 
that often I can get in trouble for speaking that or believing that in my own life. He loves you and wants you to be with him. And out of that, we go and we are loving others through that. Secondly, home brings healing. Home brings healing. In this home and in the spiritual home with Jesus, we can do experience healing and restoration. And here's the reality. It only works when you function in a home of love, not fear. Right? So it's not necessarily happening perfectly in maybe our homes here on earth. But what Jesus wants us to see is that in his home and with him, there is a home of perfect love that promotes perfect healing over time. In my life, what place in the home did this? As I was growing up, the place in my home that would do this was the bedroom. Because as I grew up, oftentimes when my parents needed to talk to me or correct me, they would say, go to your bedroom, right? That was the common place where the conversation would happen. Here's what's fascinating about the bedroom. Inside of my family and my home, and I think purposely why my parents pointed me to that, I would go to my bedroom, which was a bedroom that I did not earn. It was gifted to me out of grace and compassion of my parents, wanting me to have a safe, loving place to exist inside of the home. It was freely given to me. My dad would walk in. He'd correct me or challenge me or point out something in me. And I could always go back to the reality that they gave me this bedroom freely and out of love, which allowed me to trust the correction that I got from my father. And I knew when he left that he wasn't going to strip, me, strip that away from me, that he desired for me to experience his love even when it hurt the most and he was calling things out. That inside of that, I was able to experience correction and challenge and restoration and reconciliation in love and not second-guess that. That's why healing, even though it's hard at points, when it's found in a home of love, brings transformation. Because I'm not fearing if I'm going to lose this relationship, I'm not fearing if I'm going to lose this thing or that thing. All that I can lean into is the love that God has for me. And what's interesting about this passage is this. The gardener, who is the father, has two roles that we see play out. Pruning and cutting away, which, let's just be honest, sound like miserable, hurtful things, right? Pruning and cutting away don't sound very fun at all. But pruning is this. Pruning means to clean up unproductive growth. doesn't mean that there's uh, unhealthiness necessarily or that's decaying, but that there's unproductive growth, which means this. They would have saw branches that maybe were growing in some sort fruit, but it wasn't the best of fruit, or maybe it was small, or maybe it wasn't giving to enough life, but it was giving to just a little bit. And they would prune those branches so that it would give to the best of the fruit producing there. The, the question I would ask is this. Is there good things that you've made, ultimate things that need to be pruned in your life? What is God pruning in your life? Not necessarily bad things, unhealthy things, or sinful things, but what are things that aren't giving to the best of things, the best of relationship with him? Secondly is cuts off, which also can be understood in a progressive manner, that yes, it means to literally cut off, throw away, get out of here, all that stuff. But if you think about it in a progressive manner, and scholars would say that, that farmers would often do this, they would take the branches that aren't producing any fruit and they would lift them up to the sun to give them a chance to potentially produce fruit. And if then they still didn't, they would cut them off. That there are things inside of our life that maybe are sinful, that maybe are unhealthy, that God cares about revitalizing and bringing to the surface and hitting it with light so that it would produce fruit and not decay. And for some of us, we're living inside of that. And what you need to know is the Father, the Father cares about your heart and wants to bring unproductive things and unhealthy things to the surface for the sake of fruit growing in your life. And when it's wrapped in love, you don't have to worry about him kicking you out or for him to devoid the relationship because ultimately he wants what's best for you. And the more that you trust that, the more you lean into his correction, and the more you lean into the transformation he wants to provide in your life. He's inviting you into that, and he will do that through his spirit, his word, and his community. So where is the home bringing healing every day inside of his love? Then lastly is this, home brings purpose. Home brings purpose. 
Reality at my home growing up was this, that purpose and meaning and family identification was best found around the dinner table. And I personally loved the dinner table because it meant food. But secondly, it was an arena for us to share about our day. My dad would go around and say, share about your day. What did you do? What happened? What was fun? What was exciting? What wasn't fun? What was all that stuff? What my dad was doing, what my mom was doing, what my parents were doing, was they were grounding us in our purpose and meaning and identification as a part of the family. And when they looked at us, they were not looking to us and saying, compare and contrast to your brother and sister. They were sharing, uh, they were sharing our life with each other and celebrating that along the way. And what was happening inside of that moment was they were not only saying, yep, you are my son, you are my daughter, but I'm celebrating how you are uniquely created to play that out inside of your life. They're reminding us of who we are, whether the day was great or not great, and they were building inside of us a anti-competitive and anti-comparative and a celebratory nature inside of that. And inside of the home, Jesus, when we make our home in his love, he wants to remind us of our purpose and meaning inside of him and is only found inside of him that ultimately should do what? Bear fruits. As you make your home and abide and remain in him, fruit should be bore that you look more like Jesus, you say more like Jesus, you do more like Jesus. And what is he after? He's after your hearts because out of the heart flows your activity. Fruits, when they talk about bearing fruit, means I think maybe two things. First is character development. Of course, it's the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You're looking more like Jesus. But secondly is this, and this is one that we don't often talk about. I think it's also competency awareness, which I just used that for alliteration's sake. But here's what I mean by that. Competency awareness is this, that you are gifted and created very specifically to live out Jesus to others and in the circles that you're in. Me and my sister, we played out being Gregory's inside of our family very differently. And my parents celebrated that. They played it out on how we impacted people and how we made a, a mark inside of our schools. And that was celebrated. And inside of the home, you and I are different. We're different in Jesus' home. We, we, we look different. We, we will have different giftings and abilities. And what he wants us to see is this, is that can be used to make him make sense to others. He's going to celebrate that. And as we go back to that relationship and we're spending time with him, he grounds us in the reality that we can live that out in some unique and profound ways. John Mark Comer would say this, the more time we spend with Jesus, the more we are transformed to become like him. The more we become like him, the more we find ourselves naturally saying and doing the kind of things he said and did. God wants our heart and something to happen in our heart, not just our activity because as I ground myself in my identity, in the home, purpose and meaning start to play out inside of that. So how do we do this, right? How do we do this? Because it can be really easy to say that was a bunch of really good points or that kind of made sense or the illustration connected, but how do I actually do this inside of life? Because I know what's going on inside of our minds. For me at least, I'm thinking about what we're doing later today. I'm thinking about how busy I am. I'm thinking about what I need to do next. Where do I sit in life with this? So how do I take this home? And that's the hope that we have with this series, is that we would leave you not with just a bunch of facts about Jesus and the Bible, but that we'd leave you with very tangible things you can put into your day, that in the midst of the busyness and the craziness, which being busy isn't bad, it's just part of life, Jesus was busy, but how can you be present to Jesus in the midst of it for the sake of receiving his love and loving others out of that? That is our hope. N.T. Wright would say this. <coughs> it is only when we slow down our lives that we can catch up to God. These rhythms, these practices will force you to slow down your life. But there's also moments inside of your day that you are going to do everyday things and our hope is we give you some tangible ways to slow down in the moments of everyday things, like hanging out with your kids, like doing laundry, like going to work, like being with coworkers, whatever it may be, and being reminded to be present to Jesus and be Jesus to others. So I have two challenges for you today. 
I have two challenges for you today. One is a challenge for everybody. The second is what I call a stretch challenge. It's a challenge that's going to stretch you a little bit, and I invite you to consider it if you're at that point. Uh, after grabbing a series guide, the first challenge is this. Find five minutes every day to be with Jesus, to be with Jesus by meditating or looking upon gospel passages and gospel prayer. Be with Jesus five minutes a day. Carve out five minutes, whether it's you first wake up, before you go get the kids, as you're in the car by yourself, at night before you go to bed. Five minutes to be intentionally present to Jesus by looking upon gospel passages and gospel prayer. Here's the reality. In that series, guide. there's a bunch of great stuff. Go through that. At the back, we added 10 gospel passages that clearly articulate the good news of Jesus in the Bible and a gospel prayer by J.D. Greer that we just wanted to give you as a free resource to just maybe jumpstart that idea of being with Jesus. Just kind of meditate on it, sit on it. The stretch goal is this. Stretch challenge is this. Memorize John 15, 1 through 4. Memorize John 15, 1 through 4. Now, I, I am encouraging you to try this out, and I'm encouraging you to do it in community because I'm not going to come knocking at your door asking if you're doing these challenges. That would be weird and creepy first and foremost and not practical for me, right? But my hope is this, is that it would be easy ways to engage with Jesus, whether you've engaged with him before or have never engaged with him. Because everyday disciples make everyday decisions to be with Jesus every day for the sake of receiving his love and being his love to others. Father, we thank you. As the worship team comes up and we finish with a song, Father, would you just allow us to be still right now? There's so much that happens inside of our life, so much that takes place. Father, would you still us? Would your spirit just hover? Would you allow us to experience your presence and maybe in everyday way. Father, with your grace and mercy in mind, I just can't help but praise you right now. Thank you for the goodness of who you are. God, you are beyond what we give you credit being. And inside of that, Father, we are so grateful that you made your way to our everyday so that we could experience life in and through you. So, Father, as we finish with a song, would you remind us of the good news of Jesus? Would you encourage us into every day with Jesus, not as a way to achieve something or receive something? And, Father, challenge our hearts a little bit. I pray for those who are burdened and weary in here. Father, would you give them rest inside of this? Pray for others who are questioning or skeptical that you'd give them just a grace and a peace inside of this. For those who are trying to figure it out give them a friend inside of this we're grateful that you know us and love us the ways you do just pray this in your name